G'day guys, I'm Aaron Schultz with episode 112 of the Outback Mind podcast. Thank you very, very much for joining in once again. Uh, now, have you ever, ever thought what it would be like to uh, climb Mount Everest? Uh, or do something pretty, uh, pretty substantial. Um, you know that's that's really uh, beyond most of our potential, I suppose, in, in many ways. Today's guest, uh, Bridget, Bridget Muir, has done that. She's climbed Mount Everest, done some amazing um, uh, adventures and challenges all throughout the world. Lives in my uh, old neck of the woods in uh, Country Victoria, Nadimuk, or near Horsham, where I'm from, and. Uh, uh, Bridget is, um, yeah, like basically living a, a dream at the foothills of, uh, of Mount Arapiles, which is one of the, the climbing meccas of the world and, uh, you know, lives lives a passion. So we're not only going to talk about that today, but also we're going to talk about, you know, challenges and what it, uh, it means to uh, to sort of face adversity sometimes and how you can actually overcome that when you are faced with something which is really, really difficult, whether that be something physical like a, a pursuit like Bridget does or something that's challenging in your own life and how to overcome hurdles and obstacles and all those sorts of things. So uh, I'm sure you're going to really get a lot from this conversation um, with regards to uh, just that, but also um, you know what it is that we can actually learn from, from, from women uh, about, uh, uh, you know, uh, basically just overcoming uh problems that we have in our lives whether they be big and small and, and what what women sort of uh uh can achieve you know uh, we we always think that uh as, as as guys we're the ones that we need to be uh be doing all the uh all the stuff all the time but uh you know certainly um you know women can do a lot more than what we can in many ways it's for sure and um you know it's great to see people like bridget that can you know make some significant achievements and uh keep inspiring others so i'm sure you're going to really enjoy this chat just want to make special mention to our uh, primary partners, Green Nutritionals, who provide green organic superfoods. So if you're lacking something in your diet, uh, please check them out. They're, uh, they're a supplier of green organic um, products, non-synthetic products, uh, really, really good for us. So uh, please check out their website, greennutritionals.com.au. Also Pure Life Bakery, who provide organic sprouted breads. Uh, their breads are available all around Australia. Their breads are sprouted, the grains are sprouted, so that makes our digestion process work a lot better. Their uh, website is purelifebakery.com.au. Also, MacForce Australia, if you're looking for staff, uh, looking to get into some work in the mining construction industry or, or just do something different, um, you know, this is an organisation that uh, uh, certainly look after their people and I really encourage you to check out their website. So it's macforce, M-A-C-F-O-R-C-E.com.au. All right. Please enjoy this chat. Uh, please share it with some others. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, we're going to have a good, uh, good conversation, which might be inspiring to many. Welcome to the Outback Mind pod- podcast, Bridget. Thank you, Aaron. No worries. Pleasure. Um, back in Nadimuk at the moment, and uh, you, you tell me it's raining down there, and um, yeah, I, 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 I can picture it. It's such a beautiful spot. Um, very, very basic in the middle of a wheat uh wheat growing area but primarily you've got this big mountain in your background there that uh, that's pretty iconic which i'm sure you are uh, you're pretty familiar with oh yeah yeah everybody loves mount arapalese jewelry it's <laughs> um it's a very special place you know from people who go there for just walks like me at the moment and people who love birds people who love rock climbing people who just love being in the wilderness 
basically, yeah. Picnics. You see all sorts of people at Mandarabalis. I, I had plenty of them when I, when I was a kid there with my, my family, uh, with his, uh, my dad's friends, and, you know, we'd always get together there once or twice a year and have a big... Uh, a big uh, party, there's a big um, uh, like a barbecue area there undercover, which was pretty popular and I uh, know it pretty well. So it's a great, great location. And, mate, oh, it's just incredible, Bridget, that you've come from all around the world to, to Manorapolis to live. So obviously Manorapolis, or to, to Natimuk to live, obviously Manorapolis drew you there. When was that, like 40 years ago or something? Well, I I came, the first time I came to Australia was a tour, as a tourist. I uh, rounded it rounded up three friends and we hired a camper van and we toured around Australia as you do when you mm. come from Belgium, you know, to see the big land and the big sky and everything else. And we ended up at Mount Arapalese, um doing some rock climbing there. And then I met someone and I liked that guy and through him I met the guy who was going to be my husband for 20 years, John Muir. Mm. And when we got married, we actually moved into a big family tent at Mount Rapalee's campsite. That was our first home. So you actually lived in a tent at the mountain? Yep, I did. Incredible. There you go. There you go. Well, that's. Uh, I don't think you're the first and you won't be the last. Lots of people sort of ended up out there doing, doing that. But uh, obviously he was a rock climber as well and you had your passion in your backyard. Is that right? Yes, yes. At the time I was doing a lot of rock climbing and also mountaineering. So what we would do when we were not living at Mount Arapalese and rock climbing, we'd go and get a job like great picking or whatever was going save money and then go climbing in the Himalaya, mostly in India because it was the cheapest place to go in the 80s mm. if you wanted to climb big mountains. Mm. So where, where were you from originally? Belgium. Belgium, yes. Yeah. And my first language is French, which is why I've got a funny accent. <laughs> now tell me this, uh, were you rock climbing before you left Belgium or did you discover it when you come to Australia? Oh, no, no, no. I actually started with caving when I was a teenager when I was still at high school. So I went all over Europe um, exploring caves and then through caving, I met people who were into rock climbing and I gave that a go and then some of those rock climbers were climbing mountains in exotic countries overseas. So I had to try that as well and that's actually how I ended up in Australia. I was going to go to Kenya in, in Africa to climb Mount Kenya there and I was at a travel agent near my university in Belgium and I told uh, the travel agent, who was a friend of mine, Marcel, hey, I want to go climbing in, in Kenya. And she was having a look at the prices of tickets. And she said, oh, that's funny. The price of a ticket to Australia is actually the same as the price of a ticket to Kenya, mm. which is how I ended up going to Australia and eventually moving here. It was meant to be, I guess, uh, at the end of the day, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's amazing. Like I, I've I've met obviously living in that area and, and being around Halls Gap and the Grampians for a while. I've met lots of you know young women like yourself that have come from all around the world because they've had a passion for nature and they've had a passion for you know, you know climbing and that type of thing. And obviously that's something that you uh, adopted uh, really early. I did. Well, I did because when I was a kid, I was reading a lot of adventure books. Um, I actually grew up in the valley filled with factories, so there was 
absolutely zilch nature around. But, you know, we did what everyone in those days did. On Sunday afternoons, we'd go for a drive in the countryside and was really my only contact with nature. But I was very lucky when I discovered caving at high school. There was no stopping me after that. It's mm, yeah, not a bad thing to, to get into when you when you think about it, like just having a fascination with um, with with natural assets like that. And I guess you know, being in Australia, you would have come across a lot of indigenous art if you were into that sort of uh, uh, you know forty years ago throughout the Grampians and other areas as well. I actually haven't seen much of it. I what I've seen is uh, a lot of uh, tool implements because I've done a bit of walking in the deserts and also just along the beach at places like Discovery Bay in southern Victoria. Mm-hmm. You can just go through the dunes and you find uh, places where Aboriginal people used to make tools out of uh, stone. It's, it's really quite extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the only country in the world where you can find um, that kind of... Uh, Leftover from an amazing period of our history all around the place. Mm, it's incredible, isn't it? I, I just think we've got such great natural assets in our backyard, and I know people are locked down and all that at the moment and, and struggling to, 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 to touch these things, but I, I guess at the end of the day, what, what's going to come from this is probably a bit of an explosion in people being interested in actually getting out into nature more and exploring, uh, you know, what we have that's, that doesn't cost a cent, basically, at the end of the day. Exactly, yes. You don't have to go overseas to see amazing things and meet extraordinary people. Uh, all you need to do is to get out of the door, really, and, and challenge yourself. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to, to get into a rut, you know, when you're used to something, whatever it is, and to never do anything differently. And I think really the only way to grow is to challenge yourself mentally and emotionally and physically. Mm, now we're going to start to talk about all this. This is something that I'm passionate about and I've fallen behind a little bit because I was, you know, five years ago and sort of a bit beyond that, I was doing whatever I could to, to, to really challenge myself to, to discover what I was capable of, I suppose, you know, once I sort of uh, got rid of all the negative thoughts and emotions and all those sorts of things and what's possible you know if we actually like just um believe in ourselves and start to give ourselves some drive and purpose and and initiative and you know Bridget it'd be really interesting to sort of see like when you first started to 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 get into rock climbing or into some uh, some challenging pursuits what was what was really driving you I loved it yeah. That's as simple as that. I just loved doing it, so I was doing it, and I did it for, oh, golly, quite a long time. I stopped climbing big mountains in 1999, which is, wow, 22 years ago now, and the only reason I stopped was because uh, a close friend of mine actually died climbing the mountain I was on, mm-hmm. an 8,000-meter peak that we were attempting without Sherpas and oxygen. Mm-hmm. And that was it. I couldn't even look at the mountain anymore, so I had to, um, <laughs> I suppose you could call it, reinvent myself after a period of grief. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was good. It was good. I guess it saved my life because high-altitude mountaineering is a very dangerous activity. Mm, yeah, well, that's true. It's it's interesting. Like obviously, you loved it, which is really really nice to hear. There's a lot of 
a lot of us that um, that haven't reached our potential, and we want to see what's possible, and that that drives us. So we want to maybe try and show others or prove ourselves to others what's possible, and you know that that can be detrimental in itself sometimes. But but uh, you 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 obviously had a real enjoyment. You weren't trying to do things to uh, to to you know just sort of show people that uh, that may have been a little bit critical of you that you could you did have the ability to be able to move forward and do these unbelievable things. You know what, I think I was actually doing it to prove myself to others as well because I was coming from Belgium, I was a migrant and I, I, I felt like I needed to, to be recognised. Mm. And also, you know, I was young, I was in my 30s and, and we functioned, well, I, I functioned a lot differently from the way I function now. Mm. There was a lot I had to prove to myself for sure but also to others to be accepted, to feel accepted. Mm. I know now that it's not important that, you know, you just follow your heart, which is what I've always done, mm. and that's really the only thing that matters. Yeah, well said. Really well said, Bridget. It's, you know, we've got gone pretty deep pretty quickly here, but um, certainly, um, you know, in, in those words, there's a hell of a lot of wisdom because... You know, we, we, can, we can call it ego, we can call it whatever, but that drive and that sort of sense of, uh, of, of finding purpose, um, you know, is a good thing, uh, you know, that, that, that can actually, like, inspire us to do some great things. But if you've got connection with that heart and that purpose and that love of what you're doing, you know, I think that's, that's probably the key behind it all. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think you can get trapped by ego and by, you know, always wanting to go further, higher, faster, whatever it is that mm. you're doing. Mm. And sometimes you have a re- to recognize that, well, that's not me anymore. I better find something else I like doing mm. and start again. And I don't think that's a problem. I think it's, in fact... Call from <clears throat> Sorry. Call ended. Sorry, just an interruption there. So, so with with regards to it, like, like obviously having that passion and, and, and love for what you're doing um, is really the key. It is, it is. And also I think it's important not to get trapped by your passion because we do change as we grow older. And sometimes the passion changes as well. And it's very important to recognize that and, and not to keep doing the same, you know, old thing because that's what we were passionate about. And also sometimes you have to live without passion until the next one turns up. What's important is to never stop learning. And you can learn all the time, especially from failures as well as from successes. Mm. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Mm. Yeah. Incredible. So let, let's let's talk about it. So you, what was the first major thing that you actually did as far as, um, you know, uh, an achievement which which was of any significance? It was, might have been maybe climbing around Arapiles or it might have been climbing you know, another peak in the world. What was the first memory that you had of something that was was really uh, an achievement for you as an individual? Oh, golly. Um, I don't know. (laughs) Um, Perhaps doing the first descent of a mountain in India, um, a new route on the mountain in India, which had only been climbed once before by a different route, and it was extremely hard. And we actually were the only one to climb, to, to climb it. I don't think anyone's ever repeated that route, which was very hard. Mm. And that was, it was pretty special, but it was 
It was a strange time as well because um, John and I split up <laughs> when mm. we were climbing. So uh, it was it was all over the place, really. You know, life is funny like that. You can be doing something that you're very keen to do, and at the same time, there's other things happening all around you, and you have to deal with that as well. Mm. Nothing is black and white or simple, is it? <laughs> No, that's true. Uh, I, I guess, um, yeah, we, we won't go do, too deep into that one, but um, it's interesting that, um, yeah, you, you've gone to, to do something together and uh, through the challenges you've probably got a little bit uh, stressed out in, in, in completing that sort of task or that particular journey and that, that's obviously given you a bit of conflict internally, which, uh, which obviously uh, it led to uh, what, what it actually did, but... Um, that that's interesting. So so that was what year? Like nineteen in the eighties or nineties? It was in the eighties. Yeah, it was in um, nineteen eighty six, and I guess I went on to climbing uh, mountains without uh, my usual climbing partner, John, and it was very good for me because I needed to find my own legs in the mountains, and I needed to spread my wings, so to speak. And eventually we actually reconnected and we ended up living together for another 10 years or so and then we went in separate directions, mm. yeah. Mm. Tell me, was there many other women doing what you were doing back then? No, I, I seem to often be the only girl in a bob of, mob of boys, which mm. didn't really worry me because I was always a tomboy, mm. and uh, that was that was actually quite fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unreal, unbelievable. It's interesting. Um, yeah, you you were obviously driven, and, and you were you were you were really keen to, to keep uh, succeeding and, and doing some amazing things. So, so I don't want to get to Everest yet, but from that particular point, what was your next journey that you went on, which was which was of significance? Well, I decided to climb the highest peak on each continent simply because, for two reasons, in fact. Um, I'd met the first guy who had climbed the, the highest peak on each continent on uh, at Everest Base Camp in 1984, an American cli climber and millionaire called Bill Bass. And it sounded like, you know, something fun to do, go all over the world climbing mountains. So I thought, hmm, I've kind of parked that one at the back of my head. Mm. And then in 1988, John was invited to climb and film on the Australian Bicentennial Expedition to Everest. Mm. And I was not invited, and so I was a bit, you know... <laughs> annoyed at that and I thought well you're going to Everest I'm going to go and climb the house peak on each continent so there <laughs> so it started as a bit of a you know <laughs> a childish tantrum but it ended up as a long-term goal because in fact it took me nine years to climb the house peak on each continent and I had to get all sorts of different jobs to make it happen and I um, also of course had to find sponsors when mountains became expensive towards the end mm. like uh, Mount Vincent in Antarctica in Everest. I was on Everest four times before I summited so it was a lot of time and a lot of money and trying to find sponsors to actually achieve my goal. Mm. How long ago was that? I summited in 1997. Mm. So that that was Everest where we're talking about. Yep. Yep. 
Look, and that was the last mountain on my quest. So nine years later, I finally completed it, and it felt really good. Let me tell you. I've got no doubt. We've had Luke Richmond on on the podcast here. He's tried it twice, and he, he couldn't do it. Um, you know, he got to a stage both times where he just physically, I think he was able to, but the conditions and so forth were so difficult. Uh, he he came across. Um, you know, people that had passed away on the journey and, and so forth as well. And, you know, it was quite challenging for him. I think he was going to go back and have another go at some point. But what was it like, Bridget? Like, what was it like to be able to get to a stage where you were, you know, you were, you were really, really challenged? Like, the conditions, uh, as I sort of talked about with Luke, were, you know, inhumane. They're, they're, humans aren't meant to be up there primarily. What, what was it like for you? Well, you have to remember that I was a professional mountaineer, so that's what I was doing uh, as a job. Mm. And I, was, I knew what I was doing, and that makes all the difference in the world. When, when you know how to survive in the mountains, not only survive, but thrive, mm. and when you know when it's time to turn back, that's why I was on Everest four times before I got to the summit, because the first three times... I had to turn back. That was the only reason. And I was very glad I turned back. I mean, all sorts of things happened. But um, at the end of the day, I came back to try another time instead of, you know, letting ego get in the way and getting summit fever and getting to the summit and not thinking about coming back down, which is when most accidents happen. Mm. So, so what's it like when you get to the stage where... You, you're, you're faced with a decision like that. Uh, did you often feel like, I can keep going, no, I'm here, I've got to, I've got to do this? Or were you smart enough to say, look, I'm sorry, this is, uh, this is just not going to happen here, I'm going to turn around and, uh, and try again another time? I've got a really good survival instinct. Um, and also, I'm not proud. You know, if, if, if I feel that I'm not up to it or the conditions are not right or anything, I just turn back and that's that. Um, I'll give you another example. When I finally got to the summit in 1997, uh, we were using oxygen like 99.9% uh, .9 of people who climb Everest. And what happened was that on the summit, I took my oxygen mask off. And we were on the summit for about an hour. There were just three of us there. It was extraordinary. It was just so special. And I was talking to my camera and I was filming and talking on the radio, blah, blah, blah. But... What happened was that I spent an hour on top of Everest, pretty much without oxygen. And that was a big mistake. I paid dearly for it. I got pulmonary edema on the way down. I had uh, liquid in my lungs, fluid in my lungs, and I couldn't breathe. And the only way to get better is actually to go down. So obviously that's what we were going. We were going down. But it took forever to come down that mountain, and I couldn't. I couldn't sleep because I couldn't lie down. I couldn't breathe when I was lying down. So I ended up, from the time we started climbing from 8,000 meters, going to the summit, back down to the last camp, then the guys I was with went down. I told them I'm fine. I'll just keep going down slowly. Mm. And all the way down to base camp, that was 65 hours without sleeping and moving all the time. So, oh, well, except when I was sitting in the tent, nice. <laughs> gasping for air. Six, 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 65 hours, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think I could do that again. So, so is this using um, equipment or is you're actually walking up a trail or a track? 
Well, Yuna Mountain, which is covered in snow, and it was um, snowing quite heavily the day we went for the summit. So, no, there's no trail. You just make your own. Mm. Yeah. But there are, you know, there are ropes. Now there are ropes pretty much all the way from base camp to the summits. In those days, I mean, we're talking about more than 20 years ago now, there were places where there were no ropes and places where there were just, you know, bits of very old ropes. So... It wasn't quite as safe and organized as it is now, and even now it's still not safe. Yeah. Oh, you still I, have to turn back before oh, the shoot hits the pan. I, I could imagine. Well, the first time Mount Everest was, was um, I suppose, like conquered was Sir Edmund Hillary, is that right? It was, uh, yeah, Tenzing Norgay. Uh, and uh, Edmund Hillary, yeah, in 1953. And Tenzing Norgay yeah, is actually the one who pioneered the route to the summit. With uh, He was there almost to the summit in, I think it was two years earlier with the Swiss expedition, so he knew the way, yeah. So the bricks were, were lucky. Well, that's true. You already had someone that, uh, that had the path laid out for you, just got to got to go and do it but it's interesting like that was geez that's that's nearly 80 years ago but um uh 70 years ago 70 years ago it is yeah basically yeah yeah that's incredible so so how long did it take you from when you started till the time you got to the top when you did complete it and then how long did it take you to get back are you talking from base camp or the whole expedition uh the whole expedition well, the, the whole expedition in those days was about two months long. And from base camp, he went from what to go for the summit. It was base camp to camp two, then to camp three. Then we had one day at camp three because the weather was bad. Then up to camp four and then up to the summit and back down to camp three. Uh, no, to camp four, then to camp three, then to base camp. Mm. So I forgot how many days that was, but you get the idea. <laughs> a, a, a while, and, and this is this is my yeah, view. quite some time. What what did you do to keep yourself fueled and and so forth? So as far as your nutrition and um, uh, you know, being up, like we obviously haven't didn't have the things back then like we have now, like uh, that uh, you know dehydrated foods or um, you know energy bars or all those sorts of things. You're basically carrying everything with you as you go. So. Hell oh, yeah. no, we, we, we already had a lot of stuff like that, but mm-hmm. the problem with altitude is that your appetite does funny things, and I, I basically lived on dried buffalo meat and liquids, like soup. Um, I had some... Do you, have you ever heard of uh, something called Ensure that you used to be able to get at the chemist for people who are ill in hospital? Yeah. So it was a kind of a milkshake type thing that I could drink as well. And yeah, but mostly liquids. And oh, I also had a few tins of camel there from Australia mm. and a lot of anchovies, believe it or not. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was really, my body wanted salty stuff, lots of cheese and lollies. But mm. the lollies were mostly because you get a very dry mouth from from breathing in cold, dry air. So it really helps uh, mm. to lubricate your throat with with the lollies. Yeah. Any any energy you can get, I suppose, at the time, and uh, and that's the thing. Like like you need to be well prepared because if you get three quarters of the way there and you run out of fuel, full fuel or food. 
Um, you, you obviously got to turn back, but you've also, once you get to the top, you've got to make sure you've got enough to, to, to get your back as well. And, and getting back would be nearly taking as long as what it would getting up there, wouldn't it? Is that right? Well, Everest uh, is a bit of a different mountain from all the others because you get a lot of services that come with the the ticket price, so to speak. Mm. Um, you, you, you basically get, you know, your meals prepared for you. You get all the gear carried up and down, depending on the, the level of service on the expedition that you decide to join. And that, of course, depends on your level of experience and how competent you are at looking at yourself after yourself on a mountain that high. Um, but, yeah, usually someone else does it for you, so that's not really an issue. Mm-hmm. That's, well, that's, that you very, it certainly is on all the other mountains, you, you, in my lucky. experience. Things have changed a lot, you know. In These days, people can join commercial expeditions left, right and centre, and, and you get all not cons. You, you get all the services. And, and you get oxygen on all of them. And, and when, when I climbed in the 80s and 90s, Everest was really the only big peak that you used oxygen on because it was, I don't know why, because it's a lot higher than the others, I guess. Um, although K2 is pretty high too. But it was the only one. And now, if, if you're a client and you go on a trip organized to any of the peaks that are above 8,000 meters, you get oxygen supplementary oxygen, a bottle that you take with you to help you breathe. And I think it takes away from the experience quite a bit. Mm. Considering that people did it before you without, it's kind of bizarre, isn't it? Well, certainly in 1953, you wouldn't have had any of those mod cons. And, um, <laughs> and uh, you know... You'd be the, surprised. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> then you had to live on those big trips in the, the old days. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Did you ever meet Sir Edmund Hillary? I met him very briefly um, in India in the 80s. I, um, I know his, um, his son and his grandson really well, though, mm. and granddaughter. Yeah. So when you, when, you, when you were successful, how many other people were on the expedition with you? Well, there was hardly anyone left by that time because it was right at the end of the trip. Um, the monsoon was just about to happen. And in fact, when I got down to base camp, there was no one left from my trip. There were just the Sherpas there in the kitchen. And there was a guide from another expedition in our base camp and a couple who were in the process of splitting up. So you can imagine the atmosphere in our mess tent. Mm, (laughs) So yeah, I was pretty much the last one to come down the mountain that year. Yeah, incredible. So, so after you did that, you had a friend pass away in '99, and and that was the end of your, uh, I suppose, um, you know, pursuing um, adventures of, of any significance like that. Well, it was certainly the end of climbing high mountains, and I did play with um, crossing deserts, and I did a, a walk. I did the last degree walk to the South Pole, thinking, oh, maybe I could do a new route to the South Pole. But then eventually, I kind of lost inspiration because being out there and having to find sponsors to do uh, adventures in places that perhaps were not the best place to go to considering the climate changing uh, seemed to be not right anymore. And I didn't need to challenge myself physically in the great outdoors anymore. Mm. I needed to challenge myself in different ways. Mm-hmm. 
And what did that look like? Uh, I know we sort of touched on it before. So, you know, at that period, you're probably thinking, what am I going to do financially? What am I going to do to, to, to sustain myself or reinvent myself? And there, there may have been some doubt, was there back then? Or you sort of had a clear vision of what it was that you wanted to do? Um, no, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And But you have to remember that, I guess being a climber, being someone who grew up in Belgium with parents who were children during World War Two, mm. I've always been able to live on the smell of an oily rag. Right. And mm. then you live in a place like Nademark, you don't need a lot of money. You know, when, <laughs> when, when we bought our house in 1993, it was $45,000. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's <laughs> a bit different now, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, money has been that important to me of course you need some money to live and to pay your bills i do believe in in civic responsibility and personal responsibility mm. but you don't need a lot of money to live you don't need the latest car or you don't need a big mansion yeah. i've always found that time was a lot more valuable than spending um a lot of that time with thinking, oh, God, you know, I need that much money to go and do what I want to do three weeks a year. I I mean, it's not for everybody the way I live, but it works for me, so I'm sticking to it. Yes, that's true. Minimalist or having having some simple things, and uh, it's, it's probably a good uh, good time for this conversation because I think people are really, really reassessing what's important now, uh, you know, with, with what's happened and the physical world and the... The, uh, having the assets and so forth for, for a lot of people, they're starting to change their perception on things and getting back to simplicity. And be interesting to hear your um, your thoughts on that. And um, you know, just uh, how how you know I've come to realise that you know the best things in life really are free. You know, with all the the, the, the beauty and the assets that the physical world, uh, sorry, the the natural world actually gives us. Um, you know, I'm being able to use that as. Uh, as yeah, as yeah, your environment, I suppose, rather than having um, you know all the all the material things that may give you temporary pleasure at the end of the day. Well, yeah, I must say that I've always been happier being sleeping in a billion star hotel, you know, <laughs> outside under the sky, than than to be in a five star hotel in a town, mm. in a city with all the flashing lights and everything. I mean, it, occasionally it's fun, you mm. know. I do it. I, I used to do it when when I was working as keynote speaker, but that was before the pandemic. Yes, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. No more conferences now. Yeah. So uh, it was interesting to adapt. Adaptation is is word i guess and the more adaptable you are the more su- successful you will be in life at uh, keeping growing that's 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 what i believe and, and i understand that i'm in kind of a privileged situation because i have a husband but i don't have children and so i don't have I've, i haven't had to work that extra uh, mile to be able to make sure that my children are well looked after and, and everything else. I've been able to concentrate on what I wanted to do, which doesn't mean I don't love children, of course. I've got plenty of nephews and nieces, including adopted ones in Nepal, because um, mm. one of the things that I have had to do without in, in the, this new COVID a- era is not to go overseas and not to go to Nepal, which is a place that I was going to every year, to not to climb mountains anymore, but to visit a village over there mm. and to film a, a 
life really as it happened every day and so I became very good friends and I became part of a family there with um, now six children and I knew them from you know where they were little and now two of them are married and have got kids it's quite amazing mm. but all that's gone so what to do mm. well I decided that I I've always been a storyteller and I was very lucky for a couple of years. I worked as a radio producer at ABC Radio, the breakfast show in Horsham. But then I lost that job because um, there was someone who was younger and much more experienced than I was who took over. And so I thought, well, what do I do now? You know, I, I, I can't do what I love anymore. And then I thought, well, yes, I can. Okay, I'm not going to get a fortnightly check for it, but I can still do it. So I started a page on something called Patreon.com, mm. which is a, a subscription page, and I kept interviewing people and writing stories and all that and making the princely sum of about, I don't know, $80 a month, perhaps. But what happened with that is because I was still doing what I loved, it came to the attention of someone who worked in promotions at West Wimmera Health Service. Mm. And she told me, hey, we're just about to start a podcast. Are you interested in applying for the job? And I went, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was lucky enough to get it. And so now I'm happily making podcasts, roaming the Wimmera, interviewing farmers and uh, service providers and specialists about uh, farmers' health. It's just fantastic. Mm. Something always happens when you do what you love. That's, that's exactly right. And that, that is... Probably the, 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 the foundation uh, of, 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 of this particular podcast with you because really it's all about being able to reinvent yourself and, and, and not, uh, not being attached to the identity. You could have been Bridget the, the adventurer or Bridget the, 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 the climber you know, for, for your whole life, but being able to say, say, okay, well, there's a reset happening here. It's happening for a reason, so it's an opportunity for me to, uh, to, to take a new direction here. And, and it sounds like you... You've done just that with passion, and that and that passion is obviously starting to uh, to expand and, and and help other people at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, once again, you can't go wrong if you do what you love, you know. Mm. Mm. And you know about that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you, you look, and, and the mind will always take you to uncertainty, and uh, it'll take you to you know. Um, a lot of those old old cellular memory, you know, feelings and emotions of oh, I've got to have this for security or whatever. But if you just trust yourself and trust that, um, you know, your heart will will lead you the way because that's really your your purpose and your truth. Then you'll find yourself coming into alignment. And once you're in that alignment, um, you know, everything does take care of itself, as you said. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's easy every day. You know, sometimes I have to whip myself into it, mm. uh, like like everybody else. But it's, it, we all have a, have a choice. We always have a choice. That's as simple as that. Mm. We can do things one way or the other way. We can look at the positive or the negative. We can make decisions out of love or out of fear. It's mm. entirely up to us. And once again, I'm, I'm totally for personal responsibility in everything. Yes, that's true. That's true, Bridget. It's, uh, it's amazing because the opposite of fear is love, isn't it, at the end of the day? And I guess that's our, our purpose and, and our higher self, um, to be able to sort of connect with that. Particularly, you'll find doing these podcasts with, uh, with, with farmers in the, in the Wimmera, um, you know, from my experience is a lot of people are, 
um, very judgmental on themselves, very critical on themselves, you know, very harsh on themselves. And that self-love is, is not evident. It's, uh, it's more around, you know, you know, uh, eat on the run, get, get the job done, um, you know, work hard and everything else will, will, um, will take care of itself. But really a lot of those guys that I know back then with those attitudes are now getting illnesses and they're getting mental health issues and all those sorts of things because they're not kind to themselves and they're not listening to, uh, to the body or listening to the heart more. It's all about driving to, uh, to achieve results. But at the end of the day, if you if you can keep can, can, can continually drive hard and you 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 keep um, you know spinning the wheels and eventually things start to conk out. So I think you've got a really good opportunity to be able to to do just that. You know when you're talking to these guys, sort of you know get back to the real the real sense of uh, of what it's all about. You know and um, you know male suicide and female suicide and all these sorts of things are starting to become more and more relevant and common and. Um, um, you know, if we can just find the things that actually give us joy and happiness, then we can check in with them daily to, to be grateful for, for, for life and being able to do what you said, uh, you know, to, to use challenges and adversity uh, or adversity as, a, as an opportunity for a growth, then all of a sudden we can, you know, live in more joy and harmony, which is going to help not only ourselves, but everyone else around us. Would you agree? Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. And, and I've been just so uh, privileged to be able to go and talk to people out there in, on farms. And, and they all have their stories and they've all learned from it. And, and they're all very generous with their time and, and their stories. And, and they're all hoping one thing is that what they went through is going to help someone else. Great. Yep, absolutely perfect. Uh, and, and, and bringing to here because it wasn't always the way, you know. It wasn't always the way like, like farmers and guys would keep things to themselves and they'd bottle them up and uh, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think we've just, just, just really turned the corner, you know, particularly over the last couple of years possibly, but also, you know, over the last five, ten years and and that to, to actually like have open conversations where we can, um, you know, not, not just... Uh, use our, our our lives to to make money but also use our lives as a as a tool to be able to provide um you know guidance and advice to others that can help them you know live more conscious lives so they're more aware mm. oh yeah yeah and i think it starts with being kind to yourself you know mm. and and from there you can be kind to other people but if you're not kind to yourself you're fooling them yourself you, you'll never be able to help others mm. Mm. Charity starts at home. <laughs> That's true, but it's such a it's such a hard thing to do, Bridget. You know, like I I just think the way we're educated, we're sort of put into tension really early, and we're sort of we're thrust into adult life, and we're sort of uncertain. But the the key words that you said, you know, do what you love. If you're doing what you love, then then you've got a smile on your face, and and you know everything will will flow with you. And uh, you know the the great thing about this conversation is is that you, you really talked about, you know, your love of, of caving and climbing and that, and you followed that, and, and your, your, your life has evolved from that particular passion. And obviously when you hit that, uh, that, that stage or that moment in 99 where you had to make a decision in, and go into other things, and then you were happy enough to, to let things evolve and you didn't have any regrets about what, um, what uh, you know, might have been or what you, you, you might have been able to achieve if things had been different, if your friend had still been here. But, you know, you really need to be proud of yourself uh, for um, being courageous enough to, uh, to take a new direction. And, and obviously, you know, things have, have really um, gone exceptionally well uh, for you from, from there on in. 
Thank you, thank you. But as I was saying earlier, you know, it's, it's not easy every day and it hasn't been easy all the time. And I'm still learning every day. Every day I'm learning. And some days I learned a lot and some other days I just don't learn anything and I make the same mistakes. And then the next day, it's a, you know, it's another life, really, another chance of getting it right. Mm, that's true. And yeah, every day, like we've just got to keep reminding ourselves that we've got an opportunity to, to, to experience a day we've never experienced before, you know, um, and we don't, uh, we, we sort of have the blinkers on and we, we just go about our business. But yeah, if you're really open to it and, and see life through a fresh set of eyes every day, I guess we can, we can just, you know, help our mental well-being um, because, you know, we're, we're more grateful for what's going on in the moment and, you um, you know, I've heard um, various people, um, you know, sort of say to me um, that if you treat every day as a gift, then everything um, will, will take care of itself. And uh, you, you know, your life could have um, could have ended many times. I'd imagine in some of the pursuits that you've um, you, you you you've gone on, and um, you know, my life could have uh, in many ways through various aspects. But we're we're still here, and um, you know, we've got the opportunity to be able to step up and uh, and continually start to. Um, not only, you know, do some great things in our life, but be grateful and thankful for actually being here and, and part of all this. And, you know, whether things are challenging for us at the moment or whether things are great, you know, to be able to be appreciative of that, I think, is, is so important. Yes, I totally agree with you there. <laughs> and it's a hard thing to do because particularly for guys, you know, we beat ourselves up consistently and, you um, um, you know, we need that. We need to have that that negative mind to, to keep you know checking in on ourselves. But but living in that space, um, you know, consistently um, is not not good for us. So to be able to do things that can that can continually keep us motivated and driven, um, I think is really important. So so what would three tips that you'd give uh, people listening in um, to be able to you know get back to those things of being kind to themselves, keep themselves driven, keep themselves uh, compassionate and passionate and and, and to be able to sort of, you know, manage their life a little bit better just through some simple things, what would, what would they be? What would be three recommendations that you could make to people um, that, could, uh, that could really help them? I guess the first thing would be to stop. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy to say, I'm busy, 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 busy. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. Mm. Stop. Go for a walk. Go for a walk in nature. Get away from everything human. Go and sit by the side of a creek, the side of a mountain, go and look at the ocean and just take the time to be. Mm. It's amazing what comes to mind when you take the time. Mm. Mm. That's true. That's eat well would be the other thing. Um, try to grow your own veggies. If you can afford organic food, you can afford to buy some some seeds and, and plant them and learn how to grow them. It's uh, very much a work in progress in our little garden, I must say. I'm not exactly a green thumb, but the mm. assistance is going to pay off. Mm, good, good, yeah. Like so good food, good food, lots of veggies, um, and don't drink yourself to death. The, the drinking culture is just extraordinary, and mm. I've been guilty of drinking too much for too many years too, like many people. And mm. I I guess I realized early this year that it wasn't a good idea mm. and that not drinking was also an option. And it's life 
change changes when you don't drink mm. it's it's quite amazing mm. things become a lot clearer and a lot easier a lot less tiredness so look after your body look after your heart look after your mind very very wise words the you you know one thing you said get away from everything human you know um if you can do that that that's key because you, you're re-naturing yourself aren't you you're finding that you're you're connected with so much more than just the um uh, you know all all the things around us that we 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 think are, are real and common, but once you you get out of that and get back to that natural um, sense of being, I think that's when all the the answers and the truth comes, and you can connect with your soul again. And you know, with regards to drinking, yeah, certainly that that uh, can be temporarily good, but it all it also is disconnecting you from your soul. And um, mm. yeah, you you know. Uh, that 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 is a mask in itself you know it is nice to, to have a drink and um those behave pardon me those behaviors that sort of come with it are, are quite enjoyable if you're, you're amongst friends and um you know things are uh, uh you know are happy and joyful but but that doesn't last you know it's, it's a bit of a mask for uh for what's going on underneath so the real truth can come when you are um you know you're able to get away from everything and actually like just sit in nature and that's where you know, doing stillness practices like meditation or just getting out for, for walks by yourself uh, and so forth I think is so important because, you know, you're getting away from it all and you can actually start to tune into your senses again and those senses are really um, heightened when you're in amongst the natural assets and there's nothing else around, I guess. So that's, that's really, really nice to hear, Bridget. That's where we belong, isn't it? Well, that's true. That's where we, we came from, you know. We're all all, mm. all, all the things around us are, uh, um, you know, uh, are impermanent. Um, you know, the natural assets of the world and all the indigenous cultures that uh, that are around the world. We're, we're all connected much more to the earth, where we're sort of being denatured. But you know, you're lucky where you live that you've you've got natural assets around you. A lot of people living in cities and and other places listening to this haven't got the ability to do that. But there's still the opportunity to take your shoes off, put your feet on the ground. Um, do things which which can re-nature you, um, you know, as much as possible um, to be able to get that connection again because you're not going to get it at the bottom of a beer can, you're not going to get it um, looking into a screen, um, you know, any of those sorts of things, uh, driving a fast car, whatever. The real stuff happens, happens when you, you know, you get back to that, that connection with your, your real self again and, you um, um, you know what, what, what it is that that is your purpose here on Earth, and we've all got that within us. It's just about a matter of being able to tune into that, and and you know the words you said about getting away from everything human will give you an opportunity to actually find out what's important at the end of the day. Yep, it's your choice. Yeah, that's, that's it. Go ahead. That's yeah. That's I think I think that's it. Really, we we choose what our life is going to be, mm. one way or the other. That's true, and we do have that choice, you know. And um, and it, it's, I don't mean that the choice is always easy, but we do choose. Mm, mm, that's true, and and a wise word a person once told me years ago when I was a young fellow, life's all about choices. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a little bit different now with what's going on. We're sort of being pushed in a direction that... Uh, that some of us may not be aligned with, but um, but yeah, we, we have got choices on, on a lot of what we do with life and, um, you know, to be able to make the right ones and what we put in our mouth and, and what we're, we're doing with our bodies and our minds and those sorts of things is all up to us at the end of the day. And I guess if um, if people have trouble doing that, they can get support from people that can that can help them. And, and, and you have a website and you have your own um, sort of, uh, I suppose, 
uh, pathways to, to sort of guide and support people. Is that still going, or would it be would it be okay for people to reach out to you if they wanted to? Yeah, I've got a, a website called beyondthesmile.net, which is mostly about what I was doing in Nepal. Um, and also um, I've got that Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash forward Brigitte Muir. And it's a subscription page, but there's also a lot of posts that are accessible to anyone who just wants to read them or listen to them. Mm, yeah, great. I, I really encourage people to, to, to maybe jump on and check that out. And Something I, I never asked that I meant to before, obviously living in Nepal and being around people that are, are just so connected and, and, and family orientated and, uh, you know, being being um, able to live life simply, um, you would have you would have uh, got so much from that, I guess, back in the day. I'm sorry I didn't get that. Oh, with, with regards to Nepal and, and what you learn over there, living with the families and so forth that you live with, you, you would have got so much more or so much from that and, and, and what that could actually you know, you know, teach you as an individual but also teach us about humanity here in Australia. What I love the most about Nepal and going to that small subsistence farmer's village is the sense of community. Mm. It's just amazing. It's, it's telling me this is the way life used to be for us as well in the Western world. It's something we have forgotten and it's now is the perfect time to remember that and to reach out and to give help or ask for help. You, whatever happens, you're not alone. Mm. Yeah, that's true, uh, Bridget, and, and well said. And you know, I, I was lucky too to to travel around India and go to some villages and seeing people pulling water out of a pump, you know, a well, and that sort of thing. And it just reminded me how how simple life can be if you you choose it to be that way. And uh, and uh, and also, um, you know, how that sense of community was so strong and. That can be that can be uh, available to all of us in, in regional communities or other communities if we choose to step outside our comfort zone sometimes to be able to connect with others through that whether that be a group or whatever it may be that can actually give us that sense of connection. It doesn't have to come from our, our physical family. We can we can find that sense of connection and community with um with 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 various others. And I just think that that's what we're meant to be doing here as humans, like you know collaborating, connecting, doing things which um help us uh, to be to be more balanced and, and kind to ourselves at the end of the day. And, um, you know, uh, it's been so nice to hear you, you sort of say that. And uh, I just think the more we can get back to those simple things, then the better our lives will be. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. Volunteering <laughs> is great. Volunteering is a great way to meet people too. You know what I used to love? Going into St Vincent de Paul in Horsham. Uh, and just seeing the smiles on the ladies' faces that work there and also some guys that work there and how happy they were because they weren't being paid for it. There was no competition on uh, who was getting more or whatever. It was just a, a good environment. And, uh, you know, I learned years ago that I didn't have to have the best clothes anymore. I didn't have to have the best brand labels. I was happy to go in there and get what I needed and, and move on with life, you know. So, um, yep. so, so certainly... <laughs> I know it well. Yeah, so certainly <laughs> volunteering is a, is a great thing, so... Bridget, really, uh, really grateful for the chat, and um, yeah, I'm sure that uh, there's going to be a few people that will get uh, get plenty from this this conversation, and um, yeah, I'm hoping that uh, there's many more years for you to come, uh, whether that be achieving things or not. Um, you know, you, you've done so much with your life, and um, you really need to be proud of yourself with what you've achieved, but also what's possible for you uh, moving forward. You know, and just be excited about that and 
being able to, uh, to to face any challenge that comes because you've certainly done that. And, uh, you know, anything that gets in your road now, there's a way through it, any block, as, as we know. So, um, you know, really, um, really grateful for our chat. And um, I'm sure when I'm back in the Wimra in the future, if that ever happens, I'm hoping that we can uh, we can catch up. We'll go for a walk at Ruffalees in a chat. <laughs> it sounds good. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining in, guys. Apologise uh, for some audio interruption there, but uh, hopefully, um, yeah, everything sort of uh, got back on track pretty quick as, as it did. And, yeah, what an amazing person Bridget is. So, uh, yeah, I really encourage you to reach out to her, um, you know, um, just to say hello or just for some inspiration in, in many ways and, and check out her website and um, some, some great things to come, but also check out her, her podcast, um, which is going to be pretty awesome and uh, getting information and, and ideas from farmers out there is so important. Uh, people don't realise, you know, the work that goes into getting uh, food to the table and uh, and what that can actually um, um, do to have that connection uh, with that, you know, rather than just taking for granted what we eat, where it's actually coming from is, is really important. So please, uh, yeah, check out Bridget's podcast. If you'd like to connect with me, please send me an email, supportoutbackmind.com.au. Uh, really appreciate, uh, appreciate your feedback. Some awesome guests coming on, so I appreciate you uh, listening in, sharing the podcast with others, and uh, yeah, keep uh, living your best life um, and, uh, and just doing something that you can do on a daily basis uh, to, to keep inspiring and, and thriving. Um, as Bridget said, you know, any challenge can be basically overcome um, uh, if we choose to look at life, you know, a little bit differently every day. Uh, so lots of wise words there from her, that's for sure. Thanks very much, guys. See ya.